Hi everyone, welcome to Season 2 of the Asian Hustle Network Podcast, where we interview Asian entrepreneurs and professionals around the world. And for this season, we're going to take our conversations deeper about our Asian identity and hustle stories. We also want to announce that we are hosting our first ever Asian Hustle Network Uplifted Conference next spring in Las Vegas. For more info and to reserve your seats, check out our website at asianhustlenetwork.com. Don't forget to grab a copy of our recently released book, Uplifted, Journeys of Abundance, Community, and Identity, which tells the personal stories of how 21 Asian American entrepreneurs are shifting culture. You can order it on our website as well. Hey guys, welcome to the Asian Hustle Network podcast. My name is Brian. And my name is Maggie. And we interview Asian entrepreneurs around the world to amplify their voices and empower Asians to pursue their dreams and goals. We believe that each person has a message and a unique story from their entrepreneurial journey that they can share with all of us. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Asian Hustle Network podcast. Today, we have a very special guest with us. Her name is Lisa Ling. Lisa is the executive producer and host of the upcoming series, Take Out with Lisa Ling for HBO Max, an exploration of Asian American history through the lens of delicious Asian food, which has become so ubiquitous in the U.S. She is also the executive producer and host of This Is Life on CNN, already at work on its ninth season in 2022. For the series, Ling has embedded with a notorious biker club and explored the medicinal use of psychedelics in psychotherapy. Prior to joining CNN, Ling executive produced and hosted Our America on OWN for five seasons. She was also a field correspondent for The Oprah Winfrey Show and contributor to ABC's Nightline. For these shows, she reported from dozens of countries, covering stories about gang rape in the Congo, bride burning in India, and the Lord Resistance Army in Uganda, among other issues that are too often ignored. Ling was the first female host of National Geographic's flagship show, Explore, which sent her to cover the phenomenon of female suicide bombing, the spread of the MS-13 gang, considered the world's most dangerous gang, and the humanitarian crisis inside North Korea. Lisa, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Asian Hustle Network. Yay! Let's go, Lisa. We're <laughs> so happy to have you in the show. And I know, I know I mentioned this earlier, but I don't think Asian Hustle Network would have happened without you because of the work you've done, right? And we're an organization based on people's stories, based upon letting people t- share their stories that aren't normally allowed to be share their story. And you do a great job at that. I mean, thank you so much for inspiring us. Yeah, Brian, I'm already in an emotional state after everything that's been going on. But that just really that touches me so much. Thank you so much for watching, for acknowledging and for appreciating that the work that I do. It truly, truly means so much to me. Of course. And we we want to hear more about your story. Right. We did a lot of digging on you. We followed you for a very long time and we found that your story is quite hidden. Like we want to let, let our let our listeners hear your story this time and what your upbringing was like and how you became the person you are today. Yeah, thanks. I mean, it, it's interesting because I think for for the for those of us Asian Americans, you know, there's so many things that are kind of happening right now. I mean, obviously, the community is in the midst of a crisis in the wake of COVID and the scapegoating that has been happening and the the violence that's being perpetrated against our community. But there also have been just these extraordinary triumphs at the same time. And it's difficult 
to fully realize and even celebrate these triumphs because of everything that's going on. You know, I think that, that the underlying factor in so much of it is that for so long, our stories collectively as an Asian American community haven't been told. And, you know, as someone who grew up in a suburb of Sacramento in a non-diverse community, I truly can't remember even a single day when I learned anything about Asian American history. And it really hasn't been until pretty recently that I've really started to dig deep into that history, which is so rich. It is so full. It is so inspiring. It's also so devastating and it's so multifaceted. And so I think that one of the ways to address a lot of the hate that Asian Americans are experiencing in this country is to try and tell these stories of resilience, of resistance, but ultimately these stories of belonging, you know, because Asian Americans have contributed enormously to this country and those efforts have, have really never been recognized. Yeah. And you definitely contribute a lot to that, Lisa. So thank you so much for that. I mean, we were looking to more about your upbringing and everything. I think you mentioned in your past that you weren't too proud to be Asian American, right? Particularly Chinese American. And I want to hear more about that perspective. Do you think it's because of the representation in media that played a factor in that? Was it your surroundings? At what point did you realize that, hey, like, I do have a voice and I'm going to I'm going to use this to speak up for the Asian community. It's a great question. So I grew up with a lot of shame about being Asian American, about being Chinese American, because I grew up in a community that was so non-diverse. And even though I had a lot of friends, I was a pretty popular kid. I was literally teased every single day from from middle school through high school. I was called everything from Risa Ring and people coming up to me and like talking about what my house smelled like because it would come over and it would, you know, smell like Chinese food because it's so, you know, it it, it has such a a vivid (laughs) and, and noticeable distinctive smell. And so even though I had a lot of friends, like I would go home crying about it because when you are in that in that phase of your life, right, your 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 preteen and your teen years, all you care about is belonging and not being different. And there was nothing that I could do to to physically change my appearance. And so that was really hard for me. I mean, if, if you would have seen me in high school, you know, I had like the sprayed up 80s style hair. And, you know, if you heard the way I talked and the and what I listened to, like you probably wouldn't even be able to tell that I was Asian if you didn't see me. And that was by design, like that made me happy. And so it wasn't until I left Carmichael, when I turned 17, I moved to Los Angeles, that this whole world opened up to me. You know, Los Angeles is such a diverse melting pot. And I felt so embraced. I felt like I was finally home. And it was at that point that I decided to just do a deep dive into who I was, like, what are those parts that make up my identity? 
I went and I spent some time in China trying to learn Mandarin in 1994 while working as a correspondent for a show that was seen in schools. I started working in, in journalism when I was really young, but it was during this time that I really developed such a love and and pride in my my Chinese roots, but also my Asian American roots. And I I want to be specific about that because you know I've come to realize that the Asian American community is its own category unto itself. You know, you and I, you two, I think you're what? Are you Vietnamese, Brian? I'm Vietnamese and Maggie's Chinese. Mm-hmm. Okay, my husband is Korean American. You know, I came to realize that like we are more comfortable with one another as Asian Americans than I would be with anyone from China or that my husband would be from someone from Korea, right? We are a wholly distinctive category. And there's something so beautiful about that. You know, we have our own shared history in addition to this incredible ancestral lineage that goes back to the mother country or mother countries. But just this idea of celebrating our own Asian American culture has been something that has just become really important to me. And, you know, I've waited over 48 years to do it. (laughs) I'm really happy to hear that. And I'm really happy you bring that up too, because I think that the Asian American experience is totally different from any other experience in the history of Asians. Right. We're not, we don't, we go back to our home country. We don't belong there. <laughs> We're like, oh, wait, I stand out. And we try to do our best to belong in a country where they always see us as foreigners. Right. So the people that can connect with our own personal experience are honestly other Asian Americans because only we understand, not just Asian Americans, but Asian Australians, Asian Canadians. It's a sim- similar experience. Right. And I'm really happy you were able to, to pinpoint that and bring that up because. When people are like, the Asian community needs to come together and stop seeing yourself as being different. It's like, it's a lot harder than you think. <laughs> You're very diverse as a group, you know? It's true, Brian. And I, and I think that for so long, the different Asian American communities kind of operated separately from one another, right? We are this amalgam of all these disparate communities. And I think in the last couple of years, when these attacks, these brazen attacks on, you know, our elders in particular, and the attackers didn't discriminate (laughs) between who was Chinese or Filipino or Vietnamese. I think it's been this kind of awakening for our community that we are stronger together and that we are a community separate from, you know, again, those from, you know, the home countries. And there's something really just powerful in that. And it's been really moving for me because for so long I felt so alone, you know, but once you and I start talking, I start talking to other Asian Americans. It's hard not to recognize that thread that runs through all of our lives of similarity. And that is what I'm excited to celebrate. Yeah. And that definitely brings me chills down my spine too, because I just heard your why, you know, I just heard the reason why you do everything. Now it ties into everything, everything else that you do. This is life, right? I want to quickly talk about that too, because you just lay out the premise of the reason why you do it. It's because you want to have a sense of belonging. You want to listen to other people's story. You want to learn more because it all comes back to who you are as a person. And essentially there are times where we all feel lonely. So I want to talk more about like your experience in the past nine seasons, of course, of this is life of traveling and connecting with people. Cause I know that you mentioned a podcast probably in 2019 saying that you actually bond with the people that you have on your show better than some of your friends. Oh yeah. Right. 
And I want to hear the most impactful story that you've been a part of where it just really opened up a brand new perspective for you in a way where it's like, holy moly, like what just happened? I want to hear, I just want to hear that experience. Well, it's really been an incredible honor for me to have been able to executive produce and host this series. This is Life on CNN. Yes, for what will soon to be nine seasons. And before that, I hosted an EP at a similar show called Our America on Own. And for me, again, as a Asian American woman who grew up with so much shame around my identity, but never felt fully American because I didn't look like the stereotypical image of what an American looked like, to be able to host these shows you know, to be the front person for these shows about this incredible American experience has really just been an incredible honor. And, and I think one of the reasons why people have come to trust me and tell me their stories is, is they, I, I think we've built up a track record of really being respectful, being non-exploitative, uh, being non, you know, not being sensational and really being willing to listen. And I do think that the adversity that I experienced as a young person helped me become more sensitive to stories of people who might, you know, live in the margins or on the fringes or feel marginalized. And that has carried through. And it is also true that because when I'm in the field collecting these stories, people share things with me that are from the depths of their hearts, things that they may have never even shared with their closest friends or family members. To me, I have a responsibility to tell their stories responsibly. And I do establish relationships with these people that are sometimes more precious to me or, you know, unique, right? Or more unique than relationships that I have even with close friends. Because when you're with your close friends, you don't always go that deep. You know, you kind of, you know, you, you sort of live life on the surface a little bit on the periphery. But with the people that I feature for our show, like we go deep, deep, deep. And I want all of those people to know that I'm not the kind of journalist who's going to who's going to just like drop in and then leave. Thank you for your story and leave. I want them to know that we have a relationship and that if they need to call me for some reason, they have my number and they can do so. And I hope that that in some ways inspires people to to want to do that with everyday humans. You know, we've gotten to a place in our culture right now where we're not talking to each other, where we're not taking the time to engage and to hear each other out. And I think that that has ultimately led us to a very precarious and dangerous place. You know, things are so divided right now. There's so much discord. And ultimately, I think it, we all need to be proactive about trying to get to know our fellow humans a little bit better. I love that so much, Lisa. And you're absolutely right. I think, you know, being a journalist, it is a job, right? But you also have to be very, very engaged with their story. You also want to know more about them, right? Because at the end of the day, maybe that person just needs someone to listen to their story, right? And for them to be so vulnerable in that state and to share their story, their lifelong story, it takes a lot of courage. And I love that you mentioned, you know, it's not just like a one-time thing where you just get their story and leave. Like you have to be very, very engaged with their story and actually want to help them. And I think that's so amazing. I know that you had started, you know, being a journalist at a very young age and you said you had moved to L.A. at the age of 17 and never looked back. At the age of 16, you actually became one of the hosts for Scratch. And then two years later, you joined Channel One News. I think there was an article saying that you were one of the youngest uh, reporters on that show. And I think that's so amazing. What made you decide, you know what, I want to 
listen to these stories of these people who are not very, you know, very underrepresented and don't have the platform to share their stories. And what was that experience like? I'm sure that has opened your eyes and opened your perspectives in such a new light at such a young age. And how has that kind of channeled within yourself? How has that kind of shifted your mindset at that age at um, 17, 18 years old? And I want to add on top of that too. I want to bring the question back to being an Asian American woman in the media side and doing this in 1994, it's almost unheard of, right? You're not going to see anyone that is going to look like you at your workplace. How would you able to like navigate the in office politics in order to get to where you are today? I'm very curious too. Well, there are a few questions that I'm going to try and try and address because I, because they're important ones. I'll be totally frank with you. When I was a kid, I just wanted to be on TV. And the reason was because the TV was on in my house all the time. My parents were divorced when I was seven. I didn't have, you know, like a ton of parental supervision. And so I just watched a ton of TV. And I used to watch shows like The Brady Bunch and Fantasy Island and Love Boat. And I had these grand fantasies of being part of those shows because I thought if I could somehow, you know, be part of this this world, I might be able to have a better life one day. But nobody on those shows looked anything like me. In fact, the only Asian person I ever saw on a national stage was Connie Chung. And if you ask any Asian journalist of my generation, I'm almost certain we will all tell you that Connie was our inspiration for pursuing journalism because she allowed us to know what was possible. I mean, I truly would not be doing what I'm doing today if I hadn't seen Connie, if Connie hadn't shown me that it could be possible to pursue this line of work. And so I auditioned for a teen magazine show called Scratch when I was 16 years old in a mall. And I got hired as one of the four hosts of that show. And interestingly enough, Brian, back to your question about the fact that there were so few Asians, the executive producer of that show was a Chinese American man. And so it was important for him to make sure that there was really solid representation on that show. You know, it took an Asian American person to be conscious of the fact that he wanted that perspective represented somehow. And so I, I did that. That was my first foray into the television business. And then I got hired to become a reporter for Channel One News, which was a school that was seen in, in I mean, a show that was seen in schools across the country. And that sh- show sent me all over the world to cover stories. And my my senses, the things that I experienced in the world were 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 so heightened that I felt like, you know, I felt like I had I recognize that this is what I was supposed to be doing. You know, my desire went from just wanting to be on TV to wanting to communicate the things that I was seeing in the world to a bigger audience. I mean, I covered the civil war in Afghanistan when I was 21 years old. I covered stories about the democracy movements in China and Iran in the 90s. I covered stories about the drug wars throughout South America. And so I had been given this opportunity for my eyes to see these things. And I I recognized that this is what I am supposed to be doing. I'm supposed to be communicating these things that my eyes are seeing to a bigger audience. And, and I've been lucky enough to be able to do this, you know, to have been able to do this since. Wow, that's amazing. And to be honest, it's very talented of you to be able to communicate that story of what you see accurately to what what we're listening to. There's a lot of times where 
you know, people reporting stuff, is it inaccurate? You know, have, haven't really taken the time to make sure that all the details are right. So I, I really thank you so much for doing that. And I don't know, man, I can't imagine what experience you went through and what you saw that really like, for me, it's like, for us, me and Maggie, it's like, wow, like we, we're so plugged into the community. We see a lot of things that are going on. It's just the Asian American community or Asian Western community. For you to see how the world, for lack of a better term, see how the world really works. That must be like truly awakening. In some ways, did that really reshape who you are as a person? I know you, I know earlier you mentioned that it helped you become more aware and understanding of different people, different backgrounds, different culture, but from a mental health standpoint, right? How did that listening, listening to those stories, learning a lot more about how the world works, how did that affect your perspective and own mental health as you're like engaging with people and learning a lot more? Yeah. I mean, in in an extraordinary way, you know, I think that it is impossible to get to know people and hear people's stories, you know, really deep stories that come from the heart and not feel more compassionate and empathetic. You know, it's the one thing that I try so hard to encourage young people to do. You know, you can always go to school, right? You can always you know, you can, school will always be there in other words, but traveling to me, and you don't even have to leave your country. You can travel outside of your town. (laughs) To me, not only do you become a, a smarter person, the more well-traveled you are, the more you leave your comfort zone, you become a more well-versed person. And ultimately you become a better person for allowing yourself to get to know your fellow humans a little bit better. And ultimately you will realize that no matter how different you are from someone, no matter how divergent your political views are from, from people, that ultimately we all do want the same things. We've just been raised in environments or we you know, have accumulated a certain set of values that may be different you know, from one another, but ultimately we all want the same things. And I think that the more we get to do that and leave our comfort zone, I mean, look, I still live in Los Angeles and there are so many parts of LA that I've never even explored. You know, you wouldn't have to leave LA to, to be able to experience so many different worlds, right? Unto itself. And that applies to all towns. I mean, if you're a college student, just on your college campus alone, think about all the worlds there are to explore. And I think these days, you know, we could go entire days without meeting new people, even people that we might see every day. We may say, we may say what's up to, but like not really know too much about their story. Like what if we took the time to really try to get to know one person every day and like really kind of have a, a conversation, look them in the eyes and, you know, and, and hear them out. I mean, I just think that our perspective would widen so enormously. I visited a charter school in downtown LA once, and this was a very diverse school, you know, mostly low income students. And they did this exercise freshman year. All the freshmen were, they, they were given an assignment to write an essay about something hard that you're going through. And so all the kids would write the essay and then they would put it together in a book and and mandate all the freshmen to read that book. Well, what happens by doing an exercise like that? You and I can never look at each other in a really surface level again, right? I will know something about you that's from the depths of your, your heart. And that allows, that will allow for that freshman class 
to, to go beneath the surface. Right. And, and, and why can't we do that with, you know, why can't we do that day to day? Not necessarily write a piece about ourselves, but share and engage. You know, I think the reason why we have gotten to this place in our country is because we've really stopped engaging and we're just existing in these bubbles. And there's, and that's just, there's so much danger to that. Oh man, you hit a really strong point. I feel like, I think in some ways you're right and not to get too political on this podcast, but we've lost being authentic to each other, right? We're not, we're not a surface level. You're black and white, blue or red, whatever it is. Like you're, a, you are what the stereotype I think you are is. And we stop listening to each other and stop caring, to be honest. And I know I mentioned this earlier on the podcast as well, but like, I think your show, like this is life and seeing as a great big story and humans in New York, are the premise of Asian Hustle Network, right? Because I do agree with you that if you actually sit down and really think about it, like we all want the same things in life. And we're all very, we have a lot more in common than we think it is than we do. But when we take a step back and like finally listen, it's like, whoa, we're all just human beings. Like we all, we all want to be happy. That's really what it is. We want to be fulfilled and we want to be happy. Yeah. We want to be happy. We want to be safe. We want to be able to provide, you know, we want to be able to ensure that our families are okay. You know, ultimately they're very, they're very basic things. We just might have different ideas or perspectives about how to get to, how to, how to reach those goals. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree with the both of you. I think, you know, in building Asian Hustle Network, I think naturally a lot of us, you know, we tend to listen to what our parents say and it's easy for them to kind of stay in their own lanes. Right. And that's why there's so much division within the Asian community. But I think after COVID it's really taken us into a different step and made us really look into our you know, cultural heritage, right. And noticing and realizing that we're all more similar than, than we are different. We grew up with very similar experiences. We all want the same things. Like the both of you said, we all want happiness. We all want love to be healthy, to be safe, to be successful. And it makes us realize and think like, you know what, like I should be sharing my story and learning stories from other people. And Lisa, like you mentioned, if we were able to listen to other people's stories, not only does it make us smarter and learn more about, you know, different people's cultures, experiences, but it make us, makes us more empathetic, right? Because naturally it's like, we tend to think about what's going in on in our lives. And we normally don't think about, you know, what's going on in their lives. Like, are they having trouble? Are they going through something? But when we know what they're going through, we're able to apply more empathy, right? We're, we're able to kind of open up our, our doors and say like, you know what, let's create relationships. Let's build a better community. So I absolutely with with both of you. So I want to talk about your new show, Lisa, which is Take Out with Lisa Ling, which is a six episode docuseries debuting on HBO Max on January 27th. And it specifically focuses on the lives of those who run some of America's Asian restaurants, um, which is very, very compelling because we know that your grandparents ran a restaurant as well. Um, so I want to hear about that. We'd love to know a little bit more about that and what really brought you to start something like this. Um, we know that this was something personal that came from you personally, and you really wanted to, you know, create this platform and um, amplify the voices of a lot of these Asian American restaurant owners. So talk to us about that. Well, you know, I, I said in a post recently that I couldn't have even dreamt 
that this could happen because the idea of hosting a show that highlights Asian culture and Asian food just seemed like a completely like inconceivable, impossible notion. The show was actually greenlit by HBO before COVID, before, you know, this, you know, before the sort of Asian hate really started to, to escalate. So kudos to HBO Max for greenlighting it. But, you know, as I mentioned before, you know, we some of us have gone our entire lives without really knowing much about the incredible contributions that Asian Americans have made in this country, the severe levels of discrimination that so many in our community have faced, but also like the extraordinary achievements and the triumphs that have happened in the Asian American community. And interestingly enough, despite the, the, the struggles and the hardships the community has faced in, you know, so many of us not feeling like we totally belong, somehow Asian food has be able, been able to like transcend all of those challenges. I mean, Asian food is more ubiquitous than McDonald's. <laughs> you know, the, the, the smallest towns in America, you know, they certainly have a Chinese restaurant, but these days they might have a Bangladeshi restaurant or they might have a, a you know, a Nepali restaurant. Um, and so the best way to me to really understand and appreciate a culture is through food. You know, food also transcends gender and ethnicity and everyone loves Asian food. Well, if you love Asian food, take the time to, to get to know Asian stories because they're incredible and they're rich. And so for me, I'm very specific about the fact that this isn't a cooking show because I don't cook. <laughs> and in fact, the reason why I don't cook is because my grandparents, you know, they were highly educated people, but they couldn't get hired to work in finance or, or, or my grandmother couldn't get hired to work in academia because they were Chinese. And so they did what so many immigrants did was they, they did odd jobs and they eventually saved up enough money to open a restaurant and they toiled away in those restaurants that they they went on to own. They spent every single day, they were open seven days a week, every holiday. They my grandparents didn't go to any of their kids' school, you know, events at all. Everything was about working in that restaurant. And these stories are so pervasive throughout America when it comes to Asian Americans. And so the opportunity to highlight these stories using this device of food that everybody loves is such a, an exciting one to me. And there are six episodes. I tried to get HBO, HBO Max to green light 20, but they're like, no, here's six. They're such cool little shows with their own unique identity. And I can't wait for the world to see them. I mean, one example, just quickly, you know, we covered a story in Boyle Heights, California. And when you think of Boyle Heights, you think it's a mostly Latino neighborhood. Well, many people don't realize that after World War II, after the Japanese were released from prison camps, they had lost everything. And many of them retreated to Boyle Heights because it was one of the few places they were allowed to live and could afford to live. And so this thriving Japanese community sprung up in Boyle Heights and there's still vestiges of those uh, of that community in Boyle Heights today. And so one of those one of our episodes explores the Japanese American roots in Boyle Heights, California. 
that hits home for me. I am familiar with Boyle Heights. <laughs> did, did you know that that, that once housed oh like these American community? I did not know that. I was imagining this for you to say Torrens or like. No. <laughs> in fact, Brian, there's a cemetery called Evergreen Cemetery in the middle of Boyle Heights. And there is this beautiful monument to the 442nd Regimental Combat Team. And if you don't, if you've never heard about the 442nd, they were a team of volunteer soldiers, mostly of Japanese American descent, who volunteered to fight for America, even though America was incarcerating so many of their families and so many people who looked like them during World War II. And in Boyle Heights, there's this beautiful cemetery with, I believe, 40, 442nd soldiers who are laying in rest there. And, and we profile a granddaughter of one of those soldiers who's half Japanese and half Mexican, who has a pop-up uh, making hot Cheeto masubis because she's fusing her That's Mexican awesome. and her Japanese roots. And it's just like a really amazing, it's an amazing concept, food concept, but it's an amazing part of our, our episode. Oh, wow. That's so amazing. I mean, yes, food definitely brings people together. You know, there's so many different food cultures and you get to learn about that specific culture and try different foods. And I think what is so compelling about, you know, Asian restaurants in general, it's like, as we know, you know, there were owners of particular businesses that could obtain merchant status, right? And a lot of immigrants, they ended up opening up a lot of restaurants, right? Because there were special immigration privileges to Chinese restaurant owners, which caused a bunch of people to open up restaurants as a way to, you know, bypass restrictions in U.S. immigration law. That's why we see so many Chinese restaurants across the United States. And I love the way that you're just telling these stories of restaurant owners and giving them this voice, right? Giving on this platform there was an episode that we saw i don't want to give away too much oh but... you got to see some oh, yes so we got to see, we got to we're see some hard fans lisa <laughs> okay, we got to see some thank you hbo max <laughs> but there was this one part you know obviously don't want to give away too much to the listeners before it comes out but we love how you incorporated your your daughters into the show and it's just so inspiring to see you you know creating so much impact across generations and there was this one line that your daughter had said where she said you know i'm so proud to be asian and that that just touched our hearts so much you know because at that age for us it was so different for us right like growing up even if like brian and brian and i we actually grew up in very predominantly asian cities like brian grew up in the 626 in la and i grew up in san francisco in the sunset district which is like very asian but at the same time you know there were moments where i was just like i saw features physical features of you know non-asians who were tall skinny and you know i wanted to look like them and I I never we never saw Asians on TV. So for us, it's a, it's a little bit different. But for your daughters to say something like that is just so amazing. I want to know, like, what you want to be able to share, like the message that you want to be able to share to your daughters, because it seems like they've already kind of picked up on just, you know, being so proud to be Asian. But I guess like to the next generation, it's so I mean, seriously, Maggie, it's so funny because <laughs> You know, my kids, they request in their lunch, like dumplings and noodles and, you know, and, you know, seaweed packets. (laughs) And like, it's just like, it's 
It's incredible. They really are so proud. And as as someone who like loved boy bands my whole life, like the fact that I was able to take my daughter to see the biggest band in the world, which is BTS, right? This, right in L.A. <laughs> along with 70,000 people of all different ethnicities. And over the course of four days, 280,000 people. It's incredible the world that they are growing up in. But at the same time, you know, there's still this this violence that is very scary because no matter how much we, you know, no matter how accepted we feel or how, how much we've achieved, there will still be people in this country that don't see us as Americans. And that is really sad, but that's the reason why we have to keep fighting and keep pushing, you know, and, you know, sadly having to just demand that people recognize the fact that we belong here. Absolutely. Yeah. Did you guys like the episode? We loved it. It It was so good. I just, yeah, to our listeners, you have to watch it. And, you know, we received a lot of positive comments, you know, people saying that they were really excited to watch the series. Um, And I think we should all watch it. You know, it's, we not, not only do we get to learn about food culture, but, you know, you incorporate a lot of history into those episodes as well. And it makes us learn something new about our own cultural heritage, which we really appreciate. I guess my question is, you know, what do you want viewers to get out of the series, the docu-series and the next generation of, you know, Asian leaders and, you know, just the younger generation to get out of it as well. And I want to add more to that too. I want to talk about like the unity in our community, in our community by learning about each other's history, right? Because as you mentioned earlier, there's a lot of nuances, not just, you know, sticking together and combating violence. It's our community itself. It's still, we're still learning how to work together because there is, and to be frank, there's a lot of subdivision in our own communities. And there's a lot of learning and unlearning of things that we need to, to overcome. Right. Because we have this mentality where it's like, it's a, unfortunately our parents sort of think that it's, it's a zero sum game and which is not right. Yeah. So many times where my, my parents were like, Oh, like, did you get that? Hey, or did you do this and that? Did so-and-so get that? It's like, why am, I, why am I always being compared? So there's a lot of things we need to unlearn. And I know, I know that through your story and through your show, it's like you're covering just more in history. You're covering the unity aspect and the nuances and the generational trauma that we all need to overcome. Yeah, I mean, I hope that, that the series... I hope it galvanizes the Asian American community and, you know, just shows us like what an incredible, what incredible roots we have collectively as Asian Americans, you know, and, and that we should be proud of, you know, what, what those who came before us, how they paved the way for us, you know, but I hope that the the larger community, even outside of the Asian American community, you know, comes and just has an enlightening experience. I hope people walk away just going, God, I had no idea. And I hope that people will laugh because parts of it are funny, I think, and have fun you know because at the end of the day it's a really fun series but just walking walk away just feeling you know appreciative and acknowledging you know the asian american roots in america like that is is what i hope people take away from it and you know just be open to also just you know your stomach growling (laughs) and seeing some some really yummy delicious asian food yes oh my gosh when you guys laid out the food on the table i was actually drooling i was like man that looks good (laughs) 
But I mean, you know, it, the, that's the thing. Despite how ubiquitous Asian American restaurants are in this country, it's kind of astounding that that our show is the only show that I know of that's ever highlighted the Asian American experience. And so, you know, there's a there's it's historic in some ways. Yeah, definitely. And thank you so much for pushing for those six episodes. Let us know how we can push for 12. We know HBO Max as well. Yes, HBO Max and demand more. (laughs) But yeah, I guess for the next segment, as we're wrapping up this podcast, we've been putting a lot more emphasis on mental health for 2022. And the reason being is that we get a lot of people in our community reach out to us and be like, how can I better take care of myself? How can I speak up more about tough issues, right? And to us, Lisa, you are incredibly strong, incredibly resilient, you want to know, like, how do you take care of your own, own mental health? And like, how do you keep yourself going through like setbacks and hardship? Because we, as human beings, we all go through that, right? We all feel like different ways, not happy all the time. So we want to learn from your experience, like what keeps Lisa going? How does Lisa take care of her, of her own mental health? You know, mental health is a journey and one that we all have to take very seriously. And I think as a culture, Asians, Asian Americans and, you know, all of Asians, right? Culturally, I think we tend to repress things that are hard. Well, what happens when we continuously repress things and don't communicate about it, don't share, don't get it off our chest? It starts to fester, right? And it can start to make us sick and it can manifest itself in some really negative behaviors. And so I've been on this quest for myself. I mean, I have always been a pretty communicative person. And I recognized when I was 17 years old that I was inheriting really, you know, severe levels of of generational trauma. And I got myself into therapy therapy at 17 and I went twice a week. (laughs) Um, And when I moved to New York in my twenties, when I was working on the view, I literally had a therapist on the East coast and the West coast, because I was like, I need to deal with this. And so I would like to see the destigmatization of therapy in the Asian community. And I would like to see us encourage each other to share and to get things off of our chest to you know, I mean, we're in the middle of a pandemic, but like to hug each other, to feel each other, to embrace each other, to express affection among, you know, our circle and our group, you know, those kinds of things are things that a lot of us never got ourselves as kids from our own parents. You know, most of us or many of us like didn't exactly have models for healthy mental health, you know? And so we've kind of like been on these journeys alone, but I think that if we focus on it and also take the time to hear our parents' stories and our grandparents' stories and understand like the generational trauma that they inherited and the trauma, the ones who came before them inherited. I think that is how our generation, and I'm older than you all, but can end that, that generational cycle of trauma, but it it takes work and you have to be proactive active about it. But the first thing you have to do is recognize this about yourself. You know, how do I deal with issues? How, you know, if I, how, how, how hard is it for me to say, sorry, you know, how long do I allow these things to just fester? Because I, you know, this is something that we've been talking a lot about mental health in general, but particularly for the Asian American community that's been carrying so much, especially in the last couple of years, it is essential to find outlets to be able to relieve tension and to be able to, you know, release those things that you have been repressing for so much of your lives. 
That's so, so true and so powerful. And the moment when you mentioned about our parents and our grandparents' generational trauma, right? We talk about that a lot because we have our own trauma. And oftentimes it comes from our parents or our family, right? But we often forget that they had to go through their own trauma from their own parents and so on and so forth. And at that time in their generation, mental health was barely, you know, recognized or no one knew a lot about mental health. There was not a lot of research that was going on about mental health. And so they didn't know how to express themselves, right? There's no outlet for them. But now I, I would say we're very blessed to be able to you know, even talk about destigmatization about mental health. So what you brought up is so important and so critical. And I, you know, one of the things that my husband and I have been exploring and, you know, I would never encourage people to do it themselves, but it's been incredibly helpful for us is psychedelic therapy. You know, it's the kind of thing that if if you think that it could be something that could be helpful for you, you would have to seek it out. I would never want to encourage it. But for my husband, who, you know, is Korean American and, you know, <laughs> you know, has been very repressed his whole life. It's been a complete game changer. So I'll leave it at that. I don't want to go too. <laughs> no. We've heard the same things. We've heard uh, I'm not sure we should stuff. leave that in the show notes or not. <laughs> <laughs> so amazing. So Lisa, this is our final question for you. And that is if you could give an advice to someone who is trying to tell their story, but doesn't know how to, what would that one advice be? You know, I, I think right now there is this unique opening, right? Where people want to hear and want to know our stories, our Asian American stories. And I strongly suggest that if you have the capacity or the ability to write your story or tell your story somehow, you know, I know people want to listen, you know, and I, and I think that that's another way that we are finding community in one another is by sharing these stories. And what you will find inevitably is that your story, you know, while very unique to you, you know, there will probably be people out there who can totally relate to the things that you've gone through. And and as someone who has felt very alone in my, you know, kind of repression of, of my you know, Asian American identity for so long. It's been really, it's been wonderful to be able to share stories with other Asian Americans. It's really been, it's been comforting. It's been reassuring. It's been inspiring. And it's allowed me just to feel, feel so much more pride in my Asian American community. I love that answer so much. And for you guys who want to share your story, we also have Asian Hustle Network. <laughs> so <laughs> we have 10,000 stories of Asians around the world sharing their story in our community alone. So we're more than happy to. Well, I, you know, I also want to thank you both for, for being proactive about wanting to collect these stories. You know, one of the things that I experienced, and I'm sure you probably have experienced this on Asian Hustle Network is, you know, when I was working on takeout, everybody that I talked to was like, thank you for letting me share my story. Like, thank you for letting me share my family story because I never thought anyone would care. And, you know, what I would say to the people listening is people do care. Like we care. And, and there's this like unique opening right now where many more people outside of our community really care and want to know. So I encourage you to, to try and just get it out. <laughs> Amazing. I, I mean, I love that advice. That's so powerful and absolutely agree. I think, you know, even if it's, there's like 
something in our hearts that's, you know, scared to tell our stories, just know that there is someone out there who's probably going through the same thing. And they would find so much inspiration just by hearing the fact that there is someone else out there in the world who has similar experiences and, you know, you could possibly be changing lives. Absolutely. So where can we find out more about you and your show, Take Out with Lisa Ling? Well, Takeout drops on HBO Max on January 27th, really soon. And we're currently shooting our ninth season of This Is Life. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm on social media. <laughs> I probably use Instagram the most. That's my my addiction. And I'm at Lisa Linkstagram. So thank you. Thank you for allowing me to share. Thank you all for, for listening and, you know, and your mission to want to, to highlight Asian American stories. Amazing. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us, Lisa. It was awesome having you on the show. I just really wanted to thank you. Thank you so much, Lisa. And thank you so much for pioneering a new space for us and being a role model that we all need. Appreciate everything that you do. Thank you, Brian and Maggie. Have a great day. You too. Hey guys, we hope you enjoyed this episode. Please subscribe to the show. We would like to get to the top 10 on iTunes, so be sure to leave us a five-star review. We release an episode every single Wednesday, so stay tuned. Thank you guys so much.